Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, can you believe that we are at the end of May? Six months till Christmas, people. Well, six months to the month of Christmas. Um, We are pretty much, the year's done, year's over. (laughs) Um, But what it also means is that we are in our last week of the book of John. And I just want to let you know that um, all the midweek studies and the daily devotions, they're all staying up and available online. And uh, I just want to encourage you, reading the Word of God has been the single biggest Obviously, God saving me. But apart from that, the biggest thing in my life has been reading the Word of God. It declares that it divides between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And and I have no doubt of that. Now, you might not be a reader. And so that's why the devotions are there, to help you understand what you just read. Um, but seriously, it does, it, it renews your mind. And I know this to be true because there are thought patterns that I've had all my life that just all of a sudden just go. And I'm like, that could not have been me. I tried. I tried to get rid of that. But then it's just gone because the Word of God has changed my life. And so I really encourage you uh, to get into the Word of God and to get a hold of those um, devotions. Just a few shout-outs because it's Ash's first time on sound. What a champion. It's Jimmy's first time back on the barista. What a legend. Jade's first time leading worship here. Jade has been serving in Gunnada for over a day, but is now back in Tamworth to have her baby. And it's just like, oh, well, where can I serve? Where can I help? And so very grateful for all of you. I'm probably miss some. Phil and Fiona, they're the best too. Okay, great. Okay, so last week of John, I'm just going to try to bring it together. Uh, impossible, but I'm going to try to bring it together. And um, then um, Pastor Trish is going to lead us forward in the going forward section. So Daniel Thornton, there's not a wall. I can hear you. <laughs> Every week I text someone over there to say I can hear you. (laughs) But Daniel is my best friend, so he's fine with me calling him out. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 1, just went to liberty. Um, Okay, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is... Like the, the statement where if you were in the Connect Group studies, we talked about the fact that in every other gospel, there's kind of this slow burn of revealing who Jesus is. But in the gospel of John, just it just comes straight out and says it. And then everything from there is proving this introduction. And, uh, and so it's so exciting. Is your news public? Is your news public? Yeah. <laughs> Mitch Burton's engaged, everybody. (laughs) It's Facebook official. Is your fiancé here? She's in Mexico? Yeah, cool. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, we're all family here, guys. Um, (laughs) Mitch, so exciting. That's the best news. Okay. He was with God in the beginning. Now, this, then he goes forward to prove it. Everything that he does from there proves it. And, and when he heals and, and people say, surely this man must have come from God. And in John 17 verse 5, I think it's going to come up on the screen. Um, it says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And in John 8, 58, it says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus was making claims. C.S. Lewis' famous quote, he said that you can't say that Jesus was a great teacher. 
that is impossible to say. You have to make a decision about Jesus, that either he was a lunatic, he was stark raving mad and we should have locked him up, or, or he was a liar, the kind of son of the devil that would mislead people in such a way, or that he was who he said he is and he is the Lord of all. And here Jesus is making a clear statement and saying that before everything was, before Moses was, I am. And that is back allusions to um, the burning bush in the desert where Moses had to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground. And he asked God for his name. He said, I'm gonna go back and preach to the people, God, who should I call you? And, and, and the burning bush, the voice out of the burning bush said, I am. And essentially this is a statement of eternal presence. I was, I be, I be, I will be. I, I'm just gonna be forever. I have always been and I will always be. And he's making this statement and Jesus backs it up later on, not just in the intro. It says in verse three, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And Ryan prayed so beautifully this morning, Lord, you are the light at the end of the tunnel. And this is the truth that God is the light in our world. You look around the world and say, it's horrific. There's so much suffering. There's so much evil. That is absolutely true. But if you were to take God's light out of the world, I tell you right now, it would be a whole lot worse. It would be absolutely horrific. And so God's light is in the world and continues to shine in the darkness. We're actually supposed to be summing up the book right now. And so at the end, you see this motive of light and darkness happening where everything bad is happening in the darkness. They come to arrest Jesus at night. They come and try him at night. And, uh, and, and yet he says that a new day is coming. Yeah, sure, Friday's happening. Friday night is happening, but Sunday's coming. And he will rise from the grave and he will bring that new day. And he brings that new day for you and me if we wish to access it. If we head down to... Verse 10, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So I'm going to skip now to uh, the end of chapter 19 of John and just chat a little bit about that um, crucifixion. So if we've ever been to an Easter service, who's been to an Easter service before? Who's been to a hundred? in their lifetime, then you've heard it preached many times and probably around communion as well about what happened here. But I just want to point out a few things uh, at the end of chapter 18 into, verse, into chapter 19, where it's nighttime, they've taken him and Jesus says to them, you could have come at any time. I've been teaching and preaching in the open all this time and you haven't come. Why do you come to me in the night? And it's because they're of the darkness. And so they try him, they go to Pilate, they put him before Pilate because the Jews that want him dead, they don't have the power to kill him. Um, later on, uh, a guy called James is killed by the Jews in between um, the Herods, oh, sorry, in between the Roman governors in that place. And they get in massive trouble. So the, the, they're going to Pilate so that they can get authority to kill Jesus. They are not able to deal out capital punishment. So they're going to Pilate to get it. And Pilate's like, I, I can't see it. I can't see that this guy's done that much wrong. And Pilate had a practice at the time where he would release a prisoner. <coughs> Excuse me. He would release a prisoner. And so he says to them, how about I release Jesus? And they say, no, give us Barabbas. Now, there's some crazy things about Barabbas. Um, you know, in the Passion, he looks like a madman. He's like, 
and he comes out and everyone's like, Ugh, why did they let him go? He's a, and like he leers at people. But, but in fact, he was either a thief or a robber or an insurrectionist. Most people say more likely a violent insurrectionist, which means someone who had an uprising, who promoted an uprising and was violent or even killed people in the midst of that against the Roman government. So they say, give us Barabbas. The, the crazy thing is, is that they're accusing Jesus of insurrection. They're accusing Jesus of going against Caesar. That's their whole plot is to say, hey, Pilate, like you're, you're no friend of Caesar if you release Jesus. But in fact, they asked for the person who was an insurrectionist to be released to them. The hypocrisy is massive. But not only that, Barabbas, Barabbas means son of the father. Abba, father, Barabbas means son, son of the father. And they have released to them the son of the father while they kill the true son of the father that they say that they worship. That they say, you know, God is our father. We have no father um, but God. And, and yet they're killing their own God. They're killing the son of the father. It says there that Pilate took Jesus. And again, if you've been to a Good Friday service, you would be familiar with this, that they put a crown of thorns on his head. And, it, and, you know, at that time, just a few short weeks before, they were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now they're using those long date palm spikes to twist together and to put onto Jesus' head. And, uh, you know, it just created blood on his face. I, I, I preached this on Good Friday and my sister Jill, who, who can't watch Lord of the Rings because it's too scary, she, she said, I just wanted you to stop the whole time you were talking, Bron. Like, That's encouraging, thank you. Um, but, but really, this is a, a horrific time um, in that he was beaten. And what we have to keep in mind is that all this was not some crazy thing that happened back then. It was for us. He was beaten, he was bruised, he was struck for us. And you might say, and in fact, one of the things that gets said now, particularly around millennials, is that there's three things that they struggle with. The concept of eternal conscious torment, um, the concept of original sin, and the concept of what is called penal substitution, which means standing in for someone, standing in the place. And this is a phrase that gets used with that. Why would God beat his son in order to make us right with him? And, and you, maybe you've had the same thought. Maybe you've had the thought of, Bron, I want your forgiveness. And I say, I will, I'll forgive you. Bron McCarrow has come to me and she's, you know, done the wrong thing again. And she says, Bron, please, can I have your forgiveness? I say, sure, Bron, I'll forgive you. No worries. But first I'm going to beat the hooly dooly out of Lockie, okay? And then I'll forgive you. Like, why? Why is that the case? Why does that need to be the case? I want you to think about the fact that somebody needs to pay, okay? Somebody needs to pay. Um, if I, if Bron, because what she did, she crashed my car and she always does it and um, she just hates me and she crashed my car and she comes to me and says, Bron, I've crashed your car. Now I can say, Bron, you are forgiven, no worries, but who's going to pay for the car? Either Bron's going to pay for the car or I'm going to pay for the car. You might say, why weren't you insured? <laughs> relevant. Um, <laughs> But even if I was insured, I'd have to pay the excess. There would be something to pay and somebody has to pay. And so Jesus, somebody had to pay. And if you imagine right now that you're in a courtroom, I want you to imagine, and Jesus has got a case against you. Here it is. It's stacked up high on the, on the, on the, in the law court. And you know it, right? Who here amongst us says, no, no, my, my, I've got a clean sheet. I've never done anything wrong in my life. I've never gone against what God said, not even once in my life. Please raise your hand. 
right? And so it's stacked up on the, on, in the law court. And the judge is there and he has every right to judge because he's a good and just judge. And so we are standing there accused. How can we not be? It's true. But then Jesus, who's looking at it, says, you know what? I'll pay. I'll pay the price. Judge, hand down your sentence. I'm going to step in and pay. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because there was actually nothing that the judge could hand down as a sentence that would make us right with him. He is too good a God. If God is up there and beyond and above. And, and, and Mother Teresa is like down here somewhere because she would say herself that she can't match up to God. Who he would put themselves above Mother Teresa in the stakes. <laughs> You're not game. So I'm pretty, oh. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. We're all below her. And even she said, no, there's a gap that I cannot fill between me and God. And God said, I will pay the price. I will pay the price. And we have to remember the mystery that is Jesus, yes, is the Son of God, but also is God in every way Him. And so when we say, why would God be so cruel as to punish His Son? No, no, no. He Himself has gone in as punishment for us. God is one and he has gone in. It's a mystery. And in 15 minutes, I'm not going to explain the doctrine of the Trinity to you because I don't understand it. Um, but it's a mystery. It's a mystery that we, we, we can um, look at and go, okay, Jesus, I know that you did this, but you are God. And so in my suffering, when I wonder where you are, I need to always remember that you entered into my suffering. That's what you did. You came into my suffering and you said, I will be suffering for you. I don't think we can ever graduate from that. We can never graduate from that. So he rises again, by the way. That's the awesome thing. We can't go through the summary without uh, mentioning that, yes, he took on all our punishment. It's the whole reason he came, but then he rose again. The empty tomb, chapter 20, it says that he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Uh, and, and this is epic as well. In all the Gospels, it says that the women were the ones who carried the message. This is epic because women were not considered um, a reliable testimony. And so you would say, well, God, if you knew what would be questioned, why would you put it in the hands of women? And that's because of who he is. That's just who he is. He, he, he doesn't rely on man's testimony about himself. If Jesus relied, he says all through the book of John, I don't need your testimony about me. And as we become in him, we don't need people's testimony about us. We just need his testimony about who we are. So he appears to his disciples and Trish is going to go forward and move us forward with that. I just want to mention one thing, that he appears to Thomas. Thomas called Didymus. Now there's a, a baby coming in this room and I prophesy that it will be called Thomas Didymus. Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Bless are those who have seen and yet have not seen and yet have believed. And in my Bible, I've written next to that sentence, me, smiley face. <laughs> Blessed are us that have not seen and yet believed. But what I want to point out from this is that Jesus will condescend to the level of our faith. 
How cool is that? He is such a good God. Not only while we were yet sinners did He die for us, but then still when we have doubts and fears, He will condescend to our level, to meet us at our level of understanding of who He is and to take us to a better place. I love what Emma brought this morning, that she had doubts, that she had fears, that she had things that needed addressing. And so Jesus didn't just leave her where she was. He condescended to her level and said, Emma, I love you too much to leave you here. Let's go a bit further. And that's what he's saying to each and every one of us today. I love you too much to leave you where you are, but I will come to your level, meet you where you are and take you further. Can you give God a hand for that? God, we love you. We love you, God. Who here likes to fish? Mikey's like, no. Um, Yeah, really? Cool. Um, My dad is a keen fisherman. When we were kids, we would always go camping in this same caravan park by the beach every year in this tiny, tiny, tiny beach town. It had one shop on the corner and like six streets to the whole town. So everyone literally knew everyone because there was literally only six streets and it still only has one shop. It's like the one place on the Australian coastline that didn't boom. (laughs) There you go. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it might boom. Um, (laughs) Anyway, it was a really safe place because it was so small to go on holidays as a kid and we felt like we had the run of the town because Dad would actually let us ride our bikes to the corner shop to buy hot chips to go with the fish that we'd caught that day, right? Is anyone reliving their childhood right now? Um, But because it was the 80s and because the town was so tiny, it wasn't fished out yet. Uh, And we usually caught something every time we went out. In fact, it was pretty unusual to not catch something. But if you didn't, you would at least get lots of bites, right? And um, whether you were on that river in the tinny with the poodle, (laughs) those were the days, uh, or sitting on the jetty swinging your legs, you would always at least get the bites and probably usually the fish. And that meant that fishing was exciting. Yay, those were the days. (laughs) Fast forward a few decades and, um, you know, we're trying to teach our kids how to fish in waters that are overfished and holiday places that are way overbooked. And um, (laughs) you can be out there for hours without a nibble, right? It's a different experience because who knows there is such a thing as fishing time. Ben does. You know that there's such a thing as fishing time. Fishing time is not the same as normal time. It's kind of like dog years are not the same as human years because you can be out there and if the fish are not biting, one hour actually feels like six hours. And vice versa, if you're catching things, keen fishermen will tell their families, oh, those six hours only felt like one hour. So sorry, I missed all of the things we were doing today. (laughs) So that's a real thing. Now you know. Um, Well, my kids have had a lot of no-bite fishing experiences and it can be incredibly frustrating and very, very boring and very easy to quit. (laughs) Well, Simon, we later know him as Peter, had a similar frustration. It was accentuated by the fact that his livelihood actually depended on catching (laughs) those fish. And he had fished all night long and nothing, nothing, not even a nibble. Imagine how many fishing hours that would actually feel like. And so we find this story in Luke chapter 5, but we need to start in Luke for the backstory because we're going to end up in the end of John. Trust me, we're coming back to John. We are doing John. (laughs) But we're going to start here um, because there's a really similar story that we find wrapping up the book of John that started and and that Matthew first, um, that Luke, sorry, first accounts. 
Um, let's take a look at the, at the verses. We're going to kick off Luke chapter 5, verse 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So in verse 1, we see here that Jesus is surrounded by people vying for his attention. They're crushing up on him and he's actually being pressed up against the shore. Throngs of people demanding to get close, demanding his attention. Now, that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that they wanted to be close to Jesus. But who knows that you can have a lot of good things vying for your attention in life and it's still going to create this pressure cooker situation for you. And there are a lot of us in this room with lots of demands on our time and attention. And, and this is where the account begins for us with Jesus. He's in one of those moments where there is so much going on and so much to draw his attention. And in the background, we have Simon Peter feeling a thousand times worse than my kids, not catching fish on a bad fishing trip. He's caught nothing. He's called it in. He's disappointed. Um, he's just trying to finish what he needs to do so he can step away from his frustration for just a few hours. His head is down. He's focused on washing his nets. He doesn't care two hoots what Jesus is doing. He's just trying to get his job done. And in verse 2, we see Jesus stop in the middle of all of that chaos and notice him. Not only does he see Peter, but he also sees his circumstances. He sees a man washing his nets with nothing to show for it, working still with nothing to show for it, frustrated and disappointed. He sees Peter in the midst of all of that need and all of that loudness. He sees Peter and he sees you. He sees you. Priscilla Shira reminded me this week that we serve a God who's got eyes on you. Every tear you've cried. He has seen it every hour you've lain awake at night thinking or worrying that no one else knows you've even been awake. He's seen it. No one else might know, but he knows what you've been giving. He knows your disappointment for not seeing results for your effort or because you're not where you thought you should be by now or because something unexpected is, is taking your attention. He's El Roy, the God who sees. And we should never take for granted the fact that the God of the universe, the God of the universe who is great and mighty and can spend eternity doing anything he wants, decides to spend his time choosing to see and know you and me. What on earth? And then in the very next verse, we see Jesus get into Peter's boat. So Jesus is going to plant his feet right in Peter's circumstances and demonstrate his power. When he does, something changes, but it's not anything that Peter's effort or money or connections or attitude or time or energy or effort could have changed. Jesus steps into the vacuum 
that Peter couldn't fill and two things happen. The first is that the boat becomes like this natural amphitheater and where he can be heard. And the scripture says he taught the people from there. Jesus took this moment for Peter, this moment of, I am all out of what it takes to get this done. And Jesus stood and declared that he was the answer, right? Notice he does not immediately jump into the boat and fix Peter's problem. Instead, he first stands in his circumstances and teaches who he is. He speaks to who he is, to who God is. He does that first. Then when he's done, he turns around and looks at Peter and goes, oh, let's go deep. Let's go into the deep water. You've heard about me. You know a little bit, a little bit about what I say God is like. But we're in the shallow water and that's not where the great stuff is. The deep water's for you. We're going to call you deep. If only Peter knew how deep Jesus was going to call him, right? He might not have taken the trip. But on this day, Jesus asked him to cast his net on the same fruitless waters he had the whole night through. And all of a sudden, everything changed. Fish everywhere. He will call you deep. Likewise, he will call you deep. And the territory may even look familiar to you if you've been doing it for a while. If God has taken you there before, but don't disdain that. That does not mean that God cannot move in that place. That place you feel like you've fished before, he will call you deep, but there will be abundant, beyond believable blessing in that journey. And Jesus wants Peter to understand that right from the beginning of their relationship. Ephesians 3 Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go to John. John 21. Jesus has just died on a cross. We just heard Bron describe it. An impossibly painful and shameful way to die. And for days afterwards, the disciples had lived with this crushing disappointment. Peter, especially as he nursed the betrayal of denying he knew Jesus three times in the moments before his crucifixion. And I wonder if Peter felt like this might be old territory for him. Because where's the fruit of my work? Where's, where's the fruit of everything we did? Where's the king that I thought that I would be serving? And even when the question was answered for him, even when he saw the resurrected Jesus, I can't rap today, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> you thought it was because of my skin tone, but it's just because I'm tired. Um, even when he saw the resurrected Jesus twice by this point that we're going to look at this morning, I wonder if he looked around and felt like, oh, yeah, but what do I do now? You're gone. I know a little bit more about I know a little bit more about Jesus. I know God better. I have more faith than when I first fished with him, but what does my life look like now? What what changes about how I'm supposed to live? And so when we pick up this story, he's he's gone back to fishing. He's like I I guess I'll go back to what I know. And we find him on a fishing boat. Verse 3, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> it's happening again. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? 
seems like they're rubbing it in. (laughs) No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, as you do, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I like that cyclical nature of this story. I love that Jesus again saw a man who had a bad night fishing. And I love that Peter's response was so great because he had grown from a man who had abandoned the boat in disappointment in his first encounter to a man that saw his beloved friend and jumped out of the boat in joy because he couldn't even wait to sail back before he was near him again. I wonder where you are on that spectrum of relationship. How deep is your water right now? And do you know that level of relationship is even available to you? Now, I can't talk about this encounter unless I address the elephant in the room for Peter. He knew that Jesus must know what he'd done in betraying him. His failure would have been with him as he encountered Jesus again. Jesus hadn't brought it up yet, but maybe he would now. Is it going to be this thing between us? forever. So I wonder if he hesitated as he sat down, keen to be with Jesus, but unsure as to the reception he would receive. So let's keep reading verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love here that for every denial that Peter gave of Jesus, Jesus responded with grace and a calling. Three denials, three declarations of love and three reminders that he was actually called to keep going. Jesus is always at work redeeming and restoring us, reaching his hand of friendship out to us. If the cross is too much to get your head around sometimes, maybe you're of the generation where that trade doesn't, it just blows your mind, you don't really get it, then, then have a look at the campfire breakfast and let it speak to you. Peter has just seen Jesus give his life so that eternity was available to us. And I can't believe that after all of that, Jesus didn't dust his hands and say, that's actually enough for you guys to worship me all of your days. Like I've done everything you needed me to do. And though he shouted on that cross, it is done. And it was everything that we needed to restore relationship with the God of heaven. Jesus demonstrated what that relationship could look like by hosting a campfire breakfast on the beach. 
He did everything to cleanse us and restore us. And honestly, if he never did another thing, it would be enough for us to worship at his feet and celebrate all of our days. But whilst that might not might be enough by our reckoning, it wasn't enough by Jesus' reckoning. He's like, oh no, I've got more. Instead, in this encounter with Peter, we see Jesus saying, I'm going to go even further with you. I'm going to take you to even deeper water. I'm going to sit with you in your disappointment. I'm going to provide for you when you lack. I'm going to call you friend. I'm going to remind you that I've called you to things that matter, good works that I've prepared in advance for you to do. I'm going to restore you when you feel like you've failed. I'm going to remind you of how I see you and how I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I love you enough to not wait until you get to heaven to have a relationship with you. The God of the universe still made time to sit around the campfire and encourage his friends. On Friday, my father-in-law passed away. And Jesus dying on the cross, every sin paid for, ensures the comfort of our family knowing that his eternity is secured. And I'm forever grateful for that. I am. But Jesus sitting on the beach and having breakfast with the people who knew him, that I am also incredibly grateful for. That level of relationship, that kindness, that the God of the universe extends to his creation showed itself in so many ways already over the past few days. I was the first to walk into the nursing home after he died and um, God just showed me such a kindness because I wasn't sure how to do that. And I walk in and Sal Abra walks around the corner. <laughs> one, one of the people who go here, one, one of the only people in that building who I know loves Jesus. And she's like, oh, hi, how are you doing? I just burst into tears. <laughs> she's like, oh. <laughs> Sal was there to to grieve with me and walk me through all of the stations and get me to where I needed to be and walk me through to sit with him and pray with me because God knew I needed that. I didn't even know I needed that. I didn't even know to pray and ask him for that kindness. He is with us. He didn't just die on a cross for us. He loves you deeply. He loves you incredibly. Don't disdain those moments that build that relationship, that reading of the word and getting to know who he is and holding on to that no matter what your circumstances are. That relationship that the God of the universe would dare to love us so incredibly passionately that he would die on a cross and then resurrect himself to come and have a campfire breakfast with you. right? I hope, I hope that you know that today. I hope that you know that you're held and that you're seen, even if your thing seems small in the midst of other people's things. You're seen, you're loved, you're restored, you're given a calling. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, 
head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.